I, I want to get into the word in just a moment. I received a text from pastor a moment ago and he said, hey, I'm watching the service sitting by the Dead Sea. That's sick, isn't it? That just makes me mad. It's like, well, you're cool. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was with my spiritual father, Reinhard Bunke, who's uh, last Sunday alone led 130,000 people to Christ in Liberia. Now, that's a moment to clap. Shout. You need to do something. Yeah. He looks at me and he said, Pat. We, he has the coolest accent. I, I wish I wasn't a redneck. And, and uh, Christine Kane gets up. Awesome. I mean, oh, I get up. Hey, what are y'all doing? And, um, but Pastor Bunky said to me, he said, Pat, he said, I believe that God's going to give you a third of the nation to be saved. We're just riding down the road. And I went, he said, yes, we must raise up the sons and daughters. Can, can I speak to that this morning? Can I talk to everybody in this house that's had a war going on in your home? Because God is about to heal the sons and daughters. And what I love about Trinity Church is this is a generation's church. And God gave me a prophetic word to speak over this house. Now please understand something as I move into this. We have seen crazy miracles lately. It's just in Orlando where we saw... 5,000 students come in the middle of the sermon and I was, wasn't done speaking. I guess they thought I was. And they fell on their faces crying out to God. God began to heal the cutters in the room's arms and legs that cut themselves. Crazy miracles like that have been happening and I don't know what God is going to do this morning but I want to go ahead and make it very clear because of Pastor uh, Jim and Becky, the anointing that is on them and they've allowed, they, they said we want you and Karen just to take your freedom today and so I'm going to try to be done by four and... Um, Grab your Bibles quickly, if you would. As I began to pray about today, and I said, Lord, what, what do you want to, to accomplish this morning at Trinity? God began to speak a word to me that I must share simply titled, The Cry of a Generation. Now, now normally I love to cut up and laugh and dance and shout. I, I, I live for that. But I must share a sobering message this morning. Message for the family. Not a condemning word. I don't believe in doing that, but more of a call to war. See, I have a sleep disorder called Revelation. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? When I go to bed at night, I have a weird thing happen to me in many of the cities that I go to. It happened a couple weeks ago in San Francisco. I can hear a generation weeping. It's crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm reminded when I was just a kid, they used to put something on the TV every night. It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Immediately, my parents went and checked my room. I'm probably the only evangelist you've ever had that accidentally burnt down their parents' apartment building and Accidentally cooked our cat in the dryer. I mean, it, should, it really did. It got in there and started sleeping. I didn't know it was in there. It was awesome. Oh, my report card says talks too much daydreams. Very prophetic about my call. Sometimes I'll see people in services that knew me from when I was a kid and they go, wow. And then they say, how? And... Uh, 
But I want you to open your Bibles to Malachi, the fourth chapter. I love it when the Old Testament, which is Christocentered, the Old Testament declared what God was doing and where he was going, and Jesus brought the fulfillment thereof and said, now watch where we go from here. See, I've had a shaking in my life over the last few months. I just finished a book called the, uh, uh, Why Is God So Mad at Us? And Pastor Bonke and Pastor Jim is writing an endorsement for it, but Pastor Bonke's doing the forward, and it's a call to the healing of a generation, breaking an orphan spirit off a generation. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, I was speaking at a place, and they said, what's different about you from last time? There's something different. I said, I spent a month with Jesus writing a book and he would come and sit on the bed and talk to me. Reminded of when the tornadoes came through last year in April, laying in my front yard after the tornado flew over was a, a, what I call my letter from heaven. It literally, it's a letter that just basically says following these disasters will come a world war. And I stood there that night weeping and my hero, one of my heroes lost their life, David Wilkerson, that very night. I stood in my prayer room and I was shaking. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this thing I found in my yard? It was written in 1974 in a book called Armageddon, the Middle East, and the Oil Crisis. And he said, tell them I'm coming back. But tell them there will be a healing in the land first. So I must preach to the family this morning because I understand, I honestly believe that there's thousands of teenagers in hell that wish they could get their hands around their parents' necks. Oh, Pat, you're going to go heavy on us today. Not deliberately. Just a call to intimacy. And I do want to tell you the altar will be open starting right now. Because God's going to begin to move across this place with the wind of his spirit. I'm reminded of Malachi, the fourth chapter, looking at chapter, uh, verse 5. It says this, but also, but also, look ahead. I'm sending the Elijah, uh, Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the big day of God. The decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children and children to look up to their parents. If they refuse, I will come and I'll put the land under a curse. Father, pour out your spirit this morning. Bless our pastors as they are in Israel, standing in your land. I pray, God, that you will bring such a freedom to them as they minister in Israel. In your name we pray. Amen. Give God a praise offering. Would you do that? The book of Malachi relates from eternity past to eternity present. It is a declaration that if something doesn't change, curses shall come. I believe in our nation we're living in a time of the curse. I believe that many have forgot to bless Israel. And because of that, windows are closed. I believe that there's a stirring in my heart, though, that out of this, the very house of Trinity will come those that will shake the nations. So let me speak to the healing of the family this morning. And again, I'm not preaching a condemnation word, but a call to war word. I can remember coming home late at night when I was running from the call of God. You know, the best way to know you're called to preach is you wake up thinking about it, you go to bed thinking about it, and everything that happens to you would be a great sermon illustration. That's the best way to know you're called. And if you ignore it, you're just going to be a mean board member. Amen. Let's move on. And... and 
But I honestly believe this as I've walked, watched. I, I was sitting on a flight with uh, one of the leaders of Occupy Wall Street. He was sitting next to me and we began to share. He's a professor at a, at a uh, very, very liberal university. And we're talking back and forth, having a very good conversation. I told him what I do. He told me what he does. He's, he was headed to a protest for Occupy Wall Street. And we began to talk about some things. And the Lord had spoken to me that we must rise and bless the wounded generation or the wounded will rise and curse the fathers. And I said to him, I said, with what we're seeing with Occupy Wall Street, I said, said wouldn't you say it's really a generation that somewhere along the way they have an orphan spirit and they're screaming for the father's inheritance and the guy looks at me and he says I've never heard that before in my life but that's the truth reminded of watching Survivor one time I, I thought it was a, 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 a show about being in the ministry and um, you get put on an island and you can get voted off <laughs> sometimes you get immunity and But one young man was being interviewed. He'd been on the island for six weeks. And they said, what have you learned in the last six weeks? He said, I've learned that for my 21 years of life, I haven't known my father. And when I get off this island, I'm going to find my father. I must speak to you today concerning a man by the name of David. I love David. He was the eighth son of Jesse. Or excuse me, the seventh son. But because he was forgotten at one point, he became the eighth son. When the prophet came to anoint. I love the life of David, don't you? It's a marvelous story. He's a, a, a covenant rescuer, a worshiper, a giant killer. He knew how to kill the lion and the bear. The lion represents the thing that pounces on you. It just leans, be sober, be diligent, First Peter 5, 8. But then it also says he kills the bear. He, he, David understood before you can kill the giant, you got to kill the lion, you got to kill the bear. The bear is the thing that hibernates in your life. And it only comes out when it's hungry. And the only way to defeat it is play dead. So once you kill the lion and the bear, then you get to face the giant. I love David. He was an oops. He was an accident. He was a nobody. He, God raises him up and blows the mind of Israel. The Bible says he's of the tribe of Judah. God didn't raise up uh, anyone from the first three tribes. We know the first three tribes. That was, that was the Reuben, but he committed incest with his stepmother. And, and then the other two tribes were Simeon and Levi, the second, third, but... They avenged their sister's rape, Dinah's rape. And so in other words, God couldn't come from incest and revenge. He said, the only church that I'll be a part of is not the church where we don't ever go out and reproduce new sheep. We just reproduce within the church. And he said, I can't come from the church of revenge. I can't come from a church split. He said, I came from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of worshipers. So David was of the tribe of worshipers. I love studying David's life. I have a whole series back there on his life because I love David. I love the fact that when the prophet showed up to hold the horn of oil over the seven brothers, nothing happened. Twice he said, wait a minute, maybe I got my GPS wrong on my camel. Something's wrong here. God sent me here to anoint a new king because he was done with Saul. Saul means desired of, uh, borrowed, but David means hidden. The greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. Finally, they said, he said, is there not another? And they go, well, there's, there's, there's David. But we don't let him come home very much because he's illegitimate. He's out in the field, forgotten. David comes running in. They hold the horn of oil up. God removes his finger in the oil. The oil begins to anoint him. And I love what it says in the word. And the wind of God went into him and stayed with him from that point on. I love that. Because God's gifts and God's calling are irrevocable. But what we don't talk about a lot is how David lost his family. 
how the giant killer got comfortable with the anointing how one night in second samuel when all kings go off to war he stayed home looked over a balcony saw a woman named Bathsheba took her basically raped her everybody thinks Bathsheba was a bad woman we'll really tell Solomon that because he wrote Proverbs 31 about her she was a good precious woman and in the process David cursed his family brought her husband home eventually sent him to the front lines and had him killed and because of that the prophet walks in and the Bible says in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 he walks in and he says this to him he says David you have sinned against the house of God against Israel and because of that your family's in trouble and this is what the Lord says out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you he will sleep with your wives and brought daylight you did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel do you understand that God it's not good at keeping secrets because he doesn't like to be mocked I was working out one day and the Lord spoke to me he said Pat what parents are doing in private their children will embarrass them with in public can't tell you how many times God's brought me to my knees. See, I was raised in a family. My father was a drug dealer on the streets of Detroit. God saved when I was five years old. You can take the boy out of Detroit, but it's hard to get to Detroit out of the boy. And I can remember at different times because I, the times where Karen said to me, in the first two years of marriage, we were going to, I was going to speak somewhere, and I thought when you had to preach, you could be angry. That's what I was raised in. One day Karen looks at me and she says, you know, we love to hear you preach. We just hate going to church with you pulled off the road and wept the times I've had to come home and wash my family's feet because I've been so wrapped up and had a mistress called ministry and God says what are you doing the time I came in in the middle of the night and washed uh, late at night washed their feet and and while in the process I looked over at our demon possessed Yorkie who guards the gates of hell Yorkies guard the gates of hell her name is Legion and I looked over at her and and I'm about to wash my family's feet and all of a sudden she's looking at me and I just grabbed her slammed her in the water and I cast a spirit of bark out of her but she didn't want to be free The times that God has spoke to me in my prayer closet and said, you were great on stage, but imagine if you could be like that at home. So I'm preaching to, speaking to parents this morning. Some of you have been raised in Pentecost, raised in moves of God. But it seems like somewhere along the way, from generation to generation, it's lost. It's power. It's the three chair rule first generation remember remember what it says in Joshua 24 as for me and my house will serve the Lord we all love that verse wow that's awesome Joshua thank you but then go down to his grandchildren in Judges 2 10 it says a whole generation grew up that knew neither God nor what he had done for Israel because it's the three chair rule we have relationship this is the generation that showed up and worship when no one else would they'd come out of the fields and praise him but then my generation we just kind of turned it into religion it became our social club and then the next generation we wonder what's happened and that we don't even understand it because whenever you have relationship and you allow it to become religion it turns into rebellion so we have a generation saying you can take your God you can take your church I'm done with it I'm tired of the weirdness tired of the gossip and we have a generation floating around outside saying where's the real power God is saying I'm stirring a generation 
a generation that understands what it's like to have a young man named T.J. Lane walk into their high school last Monday and start firing off bullets. Sat on a plane and I started weeping on Thursday as I began to read stuff this young man had put on his Facebook. And then it told the story of how his father had abused him and abandoned him. His mother had abandoned him. He lived with his grandparents. He was so angry about it. And then he stood in court after being, coming in with a, with, a, with a vest on so nobody would kill him because he had shot three of his peers. And he stood in court and it says the only one standing with him was his grandfather. Because in this generation, we have thrown away the father mentality and we have grandparents raising a generation can I preach that's why I love Trinity that's why I love when I walk through the doors I feel the presence of God that's why I love the generations board I wanted to show all the high schoolers a, a video of Nate when he was little but we might still show it a minute because he's a little fella we wonder what's wrong with this generation 34% have grown up without a dad 25% of their friends are dead called by a thing called abortion. I was driving through Houston last summer, began to hear weeping, looked around the car, couldn't figure, heard screaming, crying, couldn't figure out what it was. I looked at Karen, then I saw the largest Planned Parenthood building in the world. And as I got closer to it, I heard screaming by babies. That may sound crazy to you, but I know what I heard. The largest consumers of porn in America are 12 to 17 year olds. 65% of a generation in the church thinks it's okay to mess around sexually and 43% are having sex. Why are you preaching on this path? Because there must be an awakening. We must break the orphan spirit. When a father walks in the house, it transitions, it changes things. I asked God, I said, why are all the scars disappearing on teenagers in our services? He said, because Pat, when a father's love enters into someone's spirit, it heals the inside and manifests on the outside and scars must disappear. remember one day when Abby came home from school, my beautiful little gift from heaven. We adopted Abby from China when she was nine months old. Her first five American words are, my daddy has a gun. <laughs> I've been in youth ministry for over 20 years. Can you, ever, can you imagine some little punk coming to pick her up for a date? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have him killed. <laughs> we still got mafia connections. You don't want to get rid of those. You need them. And so, but Abby looked at me one day and she said, daddy, do you think I'm pretty? And I said, I think you're the most, and I danced with her. I said, you're the most beautiful little girl I've ever held. But see, God is calling out moms and dads to stand up and begin to speak life into a generation. Tell them, tell them they're good looking. Tell them they're brilliant. Tell them, they're, tell them that, that they're wanted. They're not an oops, they're not an accident. They're not a bastardly child. They're not, they, they are ones that God has raised up. He planned it. He danced when they were born. Somebody needs to learn to prophesy over your house. Lay hands on your family. Speak life into your family. That's where I'm going this morning. But David lost his home. Josh McDowell, a good friend, said only 6% of a generation of this generation believes in absolute moral truth. Why? Because of people like Frederick Nietzsche who uh, wrote in his book, The Gay Science, in the 1800s. He said, God is dead. Then he spread it throughout Europe. The secular humanist, he tagged the walls of Europe saying, God is dead. But I'm reminded after Nietzsche died... Some wise evangelist went throughout Europe marking out where Nietzsche had said, God is dead. And some wise evangelist suddenly started to write out, Nietzsche's dead, sign God. 
A couple days ago, theologian William Hamilton, you may not know who he is, but he died, he died two days ago. You may not know who he is, but in 1966, he declared God being dead, that Christians now have a non-theo theology. In other words, they should follow Jesus and his teachings, but God is dead. He died two days ago. I wonder what it was like when he suddenly breathed his last breath. Surprise! Oh, you're not dead? I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said in the book, The Problem of Pain, he made the statement. He said, a man can no more, no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling, scribbling the words darkness on the walls of his cells. What are you talking about, Pat? We need a healing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their sin, I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. There's a healing coming back to the land. Where are the hunters? Psalms 127 says we must stretch and release the arrows. David lost his family. It was five cries of a generation. Let me just say this because it's real easy for teenagers to sit in a service like this and say, give it to them, Pat. Tell them what's up. If you're in this room and you are not saved and you are a teenager and you have godly parents, <laughs> Give it up, dude. I'm telling you, it ain't worth it. Your mama gonna drive you crazy. She gonna pray. I used to wake up with anointing oil right there. I'd wake up with a zit right there. My friends would come over. My mom would look at him and say, as we got ready to leave, go somewhere. She said, don't sin or you'll go to hell. And then she'd say, by the way, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. You'd be walking out door. My friends would go, dude, what'd your mama just say about blood? I said, don't worry about it. She's fried. She's been in ministry too long. It messed her up. So if you're a teenager in this room and your parents aren't saved, just get saved. Or your parents are saved and you're not. Don't fight that war. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, my mama on her face, get down in the vent that ran down to my bedroom. I'd come, I'd come home late at night, running from God, and she'd be going, I'd look up at the vent, I'd go, God, I'll get saved if you'll shut her up, shut her up, shut her up. Come outside of my school and there'd be oil all over my car. I go, Mom, quick, Crisco in my car. We didn't have that good oil. We were poor, man. Somebody was sick. Get that lard. Get the lard. We're going to lay hands on them. I say, Mom, you're ruining my car. You alive, ain't you, boy? <laughs> you better be glad I anointed it. Five cries of a generation. The first cry is, will somebody please love me? Somebody. See, it may be hard for a father to not have a son, but it's even harder for a boy to not have a father. David was an amazing chosen man. And yet, by the time we get to chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, he's lost his family. The sting of domestic violence has entered into the home. Suddenly his own son would look across at his own daughter, Amnon, to Tamar. He would decide he was in love with her. Now this wasn't a normal love. This wasn't a cute love. This isn't do you like me, check your yes or no. This isn't the love like when Karen asked me on our first date. It's not that kind of love. It, it was a sick sin love. A seed of sick sin which started on a balcony because dad should have 
been off doing war. But in one night, his father looked at pornography and it invited a spirit into the house. And it got a hold of Amnon, who looked at his own sister, invites her to come and see him, fakes his own illness. His father sent her to see him. And when she gets in the room, he rapes her. 2 Samuel 13, verse 14, but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. It all started with seeds of sick sin that had entered into the home. Somebody please love me. Love me properly. Four huge guys walked up to me. I was in Florida speaking. Four big African-American guys. You could tell they were ball players. And I had just preached about how I love to dance with my daughter. How I love to wrestle with Nate and his friends until they got where they could beat me up. And then I just started grounding him. And I was talking at that camp. It's big camp I said I just love dancing with my little girl we dance to journey journey is anointed and and uh highway no you're not gonna go there and these four guys gathered around me and all of a sudden they're standing I mean they're huge and I'm sitting on the stage and they go we want to wrestle with you that's when you got to get that cockeyed crazy look you gotta, don't even look at him you just gotta look off You don't want none of this. Don't don't make me go Asian on you, because I can. They started laughing. I said, do you want to wrestle with me? I said, I'm not wrestling with you. I'd hurt y'all. Spirit of Alabama is trash talk. And they said, then when you hold us, we've never been held by a dad. We came to ask you to hug us. And for one half hour to an hour, I held those boys and they cried. Got to my hotel room to take off the t-shirt and God said, those tears belong to dads who weren't there. Bible says that Amnon hated Tamar. See, whatever you lust after, you're going to end up hating. She went running out violated ran to her brother Absalom and says your brother has raped me Absalom went to David waited on David to do something about it and for two years David did nothing about it David heard it and ignored it and there's a chronology of sick sin that began to invade the house and by the time we get to chapter 13 verse 28 Absalom orders his own men to kill his own brother and suddenly he gets murdered in cold sight at a sheep shears gathering next thing you know Absalom leaves he flees He runs to Geshur, moves out, and lives there for three and a half years where the Bible tells us that that in in, in 2 Samuel 14, verse 27, he has three sons and a daughter, names her Tamar. But the first cry is, will somebody please, somebody love me? The second cry, and I'm going to hurry. I may be taking too much liberty here. The second cry is, somebody please listen to me. When's the last time you walked into your house? We're so tired. We're so weary at times. We come in, we vegetate, and, and, and we, we come in, and we, we sit there, and we don't have time to speak life to each other because we're doing life. And the only time we do is on special holidays, and, and you, you've got to understand what I'm saying. The Bible says that Absalom finally... Chapter 14, a woman advises David, your son has to come home. He sends Joab, brings him home. And the Bible says that for two more years, David didn't want to see him. Seven years completion 
has now taken place. The seed of rebellion is burning on the inside. And finally, Absalom says, I want to see my father. He's never dealt with the rape. He's never dealt with me killing my brother. Our family is out of control. We don't talk anymore. We used to pick up the phone and say, what are you doing? We don't do that anymore. Our family's out of control. And David, the whole time, is sitting in the seat of religion on the throne. And he's just talking about, well, they did it. They should come to me. Let me tell you something. You must be a son before you can be a father. And God is calling the men in this house. Don't expect them to come to you. You go to them. You go rescue them. Please listen to me. You go speak life to them. Go tell them they're going to change the world. Look them in the eyes and say, what are you thinking? In chapter 14, verse 28, Absalom lived two more years. And finally he says, you know what? Go burn down my uncle Joab's fields. If my dad won't see me, I'm going to set this place on fire. Explosion has happened. Suddenly the Bible says that at that exact moment, Absalom suddenly, suddenly gets a call from dad. It said, okay, it's been seven years. Come see me. And the Bible says he comes in and he says, David kisses him expecting a kiss to fix everything but he hasn't been a dad for seven years he hasn't been a dad since his own daughter was raped and suddenly see everybody preaches these and writes these books the spirit of absalom and i get it an absalom spirit turns the hearts of people against leadership but understand you cannot have an absalom spirit in a house without that absence of a father's spirit That's why Ephesians says that we've been adopted as his sons. He predestined me to be adopted. And suddenly, David kisses him. But anger is roused so strong inside of this boy that in 2 Samuel 15, 3, Absalom sits at the gates of the city and says, Hey, come talk to me. Let's be straight up. He don't have time for you. There's no one to plead your cause. And he led and stole the hearts of a nation. We know David was restored to his kingdom later, but Absalom was lost. Mom and dad, please listen to me. I heard about a young man, 17 years old, arrested for robbing a national bank in Detroit, Michigan. When they apprehended and caught him, they asked him the question, what in the world? What, what would make you think you could get away with this? He said, one of three things would have happened. He said, number one, I get away with it. Number two, I get shot and put out of my misery. Or number three, I get caught and get a warm bed and food. That is the cry of a generation. No one will listen to me. Somebody talk to me. Somebody tell me I'm anointed. Somebody tell me I can change the world. Tell me, somebody tell me I'm not the product of my environment but I'm a product of his anointing and his love and his favor that breaks curses somebody tell me I'm not an oops somebody tell me are you getting this I'm so busy we don't realize that by kindergarten they're learning about evolution in some states that I speak in they're learning about history classes on in the area of homosexuality I know thousands of men and women of God that have lost their children. We hear them talking at 15 or 16 and say, what happened? Right now we're playing basketball one day with a very well-known minister in this nation. And uh, he and his son were playing basketball with Nate and I. And, and we're shooting hoops. And the boy was playing with his dad. And Nate was on my team. And we're shooting hoops. And all of a sudden the boy is trying to get his father's attention. He goes, dad, dad. I'm like, dude, answer your son. Finally he goes, pastor. Hey, what's up? 
Oh my God, that I'm not known by my title, but I'm known by my testimony with my family. That they know that if you're sick, I'm going to pray over you. They know. Oh, see, my job doesn't begin when I pull out the driveway. It begins when I pull in the driveway. I'm the spiritual thermostat of my house. That means i got to walk through. I can remember when Nate was scared. We made it turn a bottle of water into Holy Spirit spray. We mildewed those carpets. I'm telling you, he'd be like scared upstairs. Dad, get the Holy Ghost spray. There's a devil in here. Seven million will face divorce this year. The average father spends 2.5 minutes a week with their children. We come in, we vegetate, we legislate, but we fail to evaluate. I'd love to talk to my kids, Pat, but they shut the door. Really? I'm sorry, I thought the house was in your name. Don't ever ask your children to rise above your authority or your lifestyle. They won't. Jeffrey Benwood wrote a song after hearing The Making of a Man of God by David Wilkerson. He said, I hope they say of me I love my children and wife. Most of all, I hope they say of me I love Jesus more than life. So when I'm laid to rest, life's journey I have trod. I hope they say of me, Dad was a man of God. We have to understand the consequences. All hell, humanism, coexist spirit is entering into a generation. We must understand that it is our job to say enough is enough. Turn worship on. Turn the stupid TV off. I love what John Hagee said. He said, would you let somebody have sex in your living room or shoot somebody in your living room or take the Lord's name in vain in your middle of your living room? He wrote that in a book. Would you let somebody have, uh, you know, have sex, do crazy stuff in your living room? We're like, no way. We'll get our gun. He said, then why are you letting it come in through your TV? Pat, you're just preaching condemnation. No, I'm not. Because I can tell you uh, many a mornings I have crawled through my house saying, God, pour out your spirit on my home. Pour out your freedom on my home. I was jogging in Singapore a few weeks ago and early one morning before I spoke. And I just spoke the night before and 90% of the kids I had spoke to raised their hand as first generation. That means they trip over Buddhas and Hindu uh, statues when they go home. No one else is saved in their family. And I said, Lord, I want to finish the race strong. Help me finish the race strong. Help me finish first. And God said, Pat, I'm not looking for those that finish the race first. I'm looking for those that can finish a race with a limp called brokenness. He said, I'm looking for those that can grab their family and say, we're going to worship, we're going to praise. It doesn't matter about anything else. I want my children. Number three, somebody please pray for me. When's the last time your kids heard you praying in tongues? Praying in the spirit. Job was a man that understood this. In Job 1.5, the oldest book of the Bible, it says he made a hedge of protection around his family. Yeah, but Pat, Job lost his family. Really? But he was able to say in verse 21 of Job chapter 1, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was a man every morning that prayed a hedge of protection. When is the last time? And I'm closing in just a moment. My kids don't want to hear me pray. Let me tell you something. There was times when I was running from the call of God and the relationship of God. But I would come in at night and I would say... Whew, I'm glad mama was praying tonight. Prayers of a righteous. That's why every morning before they leave for school, you got to bless them. I bless you. You have favor on you. You're brilliant. You're going to change the world. I used to, I used to say to Nate when he got out to go to school, I'd say, Nate, you're a prophet and a champion. Then I, I'd say to Abby, you're a princess and a champion. One night I was walking by her bedroom and she wasn't asleep. She said, Daddy, I need to tell you something. I said, what, baby? I said, why aren't you asleep? She said, I can't sleep. I just got to tell you something. I said, what is it? She said, you're a princess and a champion. I said, you stop it.
period of time, Karen and I had the same dream one night that somebody in, that our son was in trouble in our family. We had the same dream. We were out jogging. We had a dream he was killed in an accident, didn't we? And I said, I had a dream. She said, I had the same dream. And because Pastor Lisa has messed her up uh, with dreams. And I dream dumb stuff. Playing tennis in my drawers. I mean, I don't know. And Karen's like, let me tell you what God is saying. Pastor Bunky said to me three weeks ago, he said, Pat, at least three times a week, God takes me to heaven in my sleep. And I went and got in my hotel room that night. I said, why don't you take me? He didn't say nothing. We need some moms and dads, some grandparents to plead the blood of Jesus, somebody to walk in and be praying. Folks, I got spankings before I did things. I grew up wearing 15 pairs of underwear. I'm telling you, I'm, my parents would start praying in the morning time. My dad would say, come here. You know what God told us you're going to do? He'd take it off. He's a big man. It sounded like a Huey helicopter. I'm like, I hadn't done it yet. But God told me you were going to. Let's get it over with. Anybody that's in here that's not saved, but you can have prophetic parents, they already know. David learned how to pray later. First Chronicles 29, I'm about to close right here. It says, give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commandments and to do everything to build palatial structure for which I have provided. David learned how to pray, but it was too late. Absalom from chapter 14 to 18 would lead a worldwide rebellion against his father. Who understands the power of life and death is in a tongue? Proverbs 18, 21. You declare their future. He spoke the world into existence with a tongue. Declare their future. When, when the teacher says they're out of control, you got to declare their future. When, when they're walking through something, somebody breaks their heart, declare their future. Tell them. Tell them you're going to be great. Tell them you're anointed. Tell them you're going to shake nations. Tell them, the, tell them to learn how to say, devil, you didn't make me. You can't break me. Tell them to have the authority to stand up and pray in the spirit. I'll never forget. Somebody... The fourth cry is somebody be the example. Somebody be the standard. Paul told Timothy, the faith you have, it's inherited. Absalom didn't have an example. I'll never forget one night, Nate pulled up in the car with a bunch of his buddies. And I walked out the car to see who was out in the car with his friends. See, I ain't worried about that. You know, all y'all is afraid to read diaries and check their email and look in their room. My name's on the house. I get to walk in that house anywhere I want. Look at whatever I want. Yeah, that's the way it works. And uh, never forget, I walked out the car. Some boys dropped Nate off from a football game. I walked out to the car to shake their hands, teach them how to shake like a man. Don't give me no dead fish. And all of a sudden, I reached out to shake their hands. And I said, hey, I'm Nate's dad. Thanks for bringing him home tonight. The next couple days later, I was in Vegas preaching. And my phone rang. And Nate said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I said, what, son? He said, Dad, I went to the lunchroom table today with all my buddies, the ones that dropped me off the other night. And when I sat down, they said, Nate, we've all been talking. We got to ask you something. And he said, what? what is that that's on your dad? Because... We felt something so powerful in the car after he shook our hands. And I just started shouting all over. Let me tell you something. It is time to invade the territory. It is time to take back our family and say, devil, get your hands off my children, off my marriage, off my sons and my daughters. We're taking back Dallas.
close. Somebody be the example. Somebody, I'll look down the line. People will be worshiping and I'll see dad standing like this and then I'll look beside him. Son's just like him. My lifestyle is not supposed to change when I get to heaven. If you can't worship here, you won't make it there. Yeah, but Pat, I just got saved. I've just been brand new to this and my kids aren't saved because I wasn't saved. Read Acts 16. The jailer and his family, those who are far off, is promised in Acts chapter 2. God will restore what was robbed by that devil. He'll walk up and say, yes, I had a plan for this. I will adopt the whole family. It's John, 3 John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth, but I need some dads that'll stand up, that'll get their word out in the morning time and walk through the house. You can do Holy Ghost horoscope if you don't know how to read it. You and it's like, oh, here's what God's saying. And it's, it's about walking with that type of freedom, that type of power of saying enough is enough. We're turning the junk out. I'm throwing the liquor out because I don't want spirits in my house. That's what they call them. I, I'm going to guard what I say. I'm going to learn to walk. Somebody be the example. Give me a father that will pay his tithe and rebuke that devourer over my house. Give me somebody that will worship. David allowed the seeds of six sin to destroy his home when I'm done. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, the Bible says, Joab, his own uncle, Absalom has been leading a revolution, and suddenly he gets caught by his glory in the tree, his hair. He's dangling by his own hair. He's led a rebellion against his father. David is on the outs. He's living in the caves again with his mighty men. They probably met at a doulum, which means justice for the people. Come on, worship team. And Absalom's hanging there by his hair. It all started with dad going, I can compartmentalize my anointing. Here's my God relationship, my Psalms, my kingdom, and my private thought life. Because men can compartmentalize. And the moment David Looked over the balcony. The child that would be birthed from that relationship would die. Death would enter his home. In 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter, the son of the king is hanging by his own hair. his own uncle thrust three spears into his heart somebody love me somebody listen to me somebody pray for me somebody be the example for me Proverbs 17 6 children of the crown of old men and the glory of the children of their fathers and then lastly Someone help me leave a legacy. 
This generation's hungry for the real things of God. They have a social justice spirit. They want to see things made right. They're tired of relying on the government. They have a, a mentality that says, let's fix this thing. It's, they understand St. Augustine when he said, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to make sure they don't remain. So they understand it. I love what Pastor Bunky said to me one day. He said, Pat, we must get a generation baptized in the Holy Ghost. If they're really going to prophesy, if Joel 2.28 is going to happen, we must change the way they speak. It's the most vile generation. They can drop any word. They'll say anything on TV. Watch Jersey Shore. Watch some of the garbage that's out there. They'll say anything. They'll just drop this word and that bomb and that bomb. He said, but if we can get them baptized in the Holy Ghost, if we can change the way they speak, we'll change the way they walk. If we can change the way they walk, we'll change the way they shout. And Pastor Bunky starts preaching to me and he said, we must get the sons and daughters, Pat. We must go after them. But the Bible says that as he's hanging there, he dies. And in 2 Samuel 18, 29, the king, suddenly a man comes running into the courtroom. David says, how's the young man? Almost hoping, how's my son? You didn't catch him, did you? Hope you didn't catch him. Oh no, king. We not only caught him, but we killed your son. And you would think, in our mindset, that he would be shouting and dancing. He's getting his kingdom back. But in verse 33, he falls on his knees and he says, Oh, my son, my son Absalom, that I would have died instead of you, Absalom, my beautiful boy. How many fathers have stood at caskets and said, Why didn't I tell you I loved you today? Reminded of a family that was in a car accident, true story. They went on vacation. They allowed their oldest son to drive the car. They go on vacation to their cabin on the way home. They said, hey, take your sisters with you. He was 16 and two girls were 12 and 6. And I believe that's their ages. And he, and he says, dad says, we're going to stop at some flea markets. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you. You guys, I trust you. You know the way home. About halfway home, traffic was backed up. They knew something was wrong. They got out of the car. They ran all the way down the freeway. And there was a crumpled heap of metal. And they saw their three babies with sheets over them. Dad, true story, took, took the mom by the hand, walked down the corridor of the highway, stumbling and weeping, and they knocked on the door of somebody's house. They said, can, can we borrow a bedroom? Our babies have just been killed, and suddenly they walked into the... See, you know whether or not you've been praying when the emergency hits, when hell comes against you. They walked into the bedroom, fell on their knees, and lifted their hands up and said, we... We bless you. See, the Bible says in Second and in, in First Kings that Absalom had actually built a monument to himself. He knew he was going to die young. He said, "I don't have any sons to carry on my name." We know he had three sons and a daughter, but apparently, he had built a monument in the Valley of the Kings. Stand with me across this house, but now get ready because Pastor Robert's going to come in just a few moments. I, I know we've gone a little longer than time. Is it okay? Are you all right? Can we get some healing in some homes this morning? Can we see an outpouring? Your pastor, his heart, because we talked for hours. We talked nearly every day. See, the last one is, will somebody help me leave a legacy? Nobody had ever been saved in my family until my dad got saved because of a Nazarene man down the street with no teeth. Knocked on his door. Two weeks in a row, my father was a drug dealer, 
Worked for Teamsters. Kept telling him he was going to kill him if he didn't leave us alone. But he kept. Can I tell you about Jesus? My dad said, you are stupid. You have no teeth. I'm not listening to you. You can beat me up, but I still got to tell you about Jesus. And in one night, he fell on his knees next to a toilet, flushed all the dope down the commode. changed my legacy five years old all it takes you know what is said that if mom gets teenager gets saved there's a 22% chance the whole family gets saved mom gets saved 37% chance family's gonna get saved but dad gets saved 96% chance the whole family will come to Christ My dear friend Rick Pino tweeted something last night, and I, they're in a prayer meeting. I think it's in Austin, 40-hour prayer meeting or something. But he tweeted this scripture, and I looked it up, Amos 9-11. Bring up Amos chapter 9, verse 11 for me if we've got it. In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be. God said to me, use that scripture at the very end tomorrow because I'm going to restore homes. I'm going to restore marriages. I'm going to restore families. Every eye shut across this house. Hey, yeah, yeah. As you're standing there, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do something supernatural, which He often does in our services. He's going to invade quickly, and it's going to happen very fast. And I'm going to turn it back to pastor in just a moment. But the Holy Spirit's about to move mightily. The Holy Spirit's about to shake men to their core, teenagers to their core. We're about to break some curses and restore generational blessings across this house. We're about to break everything you've invited in. The first thing i got to do, every eye shut across this place. There are men in this room that need to run to the altar right now. They need to come down here and say, God, break the stuff off my house. Restore what's been robbed. Fix us. But before we do that, shut across this place I got to do what a man did at my home when I was five if you're in this room and you don't realize I just preached the very life of Jesus number one he loves you number two he listens to you number three he makes intercession and prays for you number four he was your example of power number five he gave us the authority to leave a legacy i just preached the five things a generation is crying out for are the five things jesus provided on the cross with every eye shut across this place if you have sin in your life and you say pat i'm battling but i'm ready to get free i want jesus christ to change me he knows what it's like to have his father turn his back on him and i want jesus Jesus to change me and invade me and turn my house upside down I'm ready for him to fix me if you have sin in your life and you need Jesus Christ to change you raise your hand now come on his hands going up all over this place yeah come on dad come on mom come on dad come on mom come on teenager here's what we're gonna do the first thing we're gonna do you know what I need you to do this might be awkward but I got to do this. I got to do it. God just spoke to my heart. If there's fathers in the house, mothers, you're a single parent. He will give you the authority to be mom and dad, by the way, single parents. 
He will lay down beside you at night and awaken you with the authority to be a dad at that moment or a mom at that moment. God takes care of single parents. It's all through his word. Read Psalms 41. How many singles, moms and dads do we have in here? Raise your hand. You know what the Lord just spoke to me? I need you to come down here first. All those singles, come on. We're going to pray together. All single parents, come on. Come on. Come on, because you're tired. Some of you are tired. Some of you are weary. Come on, single parents, come on. This is not where I was going to go. I was going to call dads first, but God said no. give the anointing to be dad and the anointing to be mom he'll give the anointing to walk into the bedroom and he'll show you where things are hidden he will give the anointing to be everything that child needs how many of you are tired this is what the Lord just spoke to me just I, I, he totally interrupted my altar call raise your hand if you're tired raise both hands now get on the cross with him for a minute now this is what happens in our services Pray this out loud. Today, hold me. Wrap your arms around me. Let me be a child for a moment. Holy Spirit, refresh me. Now, here comes the Spirit. Every eye shed across this place. If you have sin in your life, raise your hand. We're going to pray together. You have sin in your life, raise your hand. Come on, dads. Any moms or dads invited the seed of sick sin into your house? There's a seed in your house. You've invited in. Everybody raise both hands in the air right now. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Raise both hands. I'm coming back to you, single parents. So hold on. Everybody raise both hands. Teenagers, raise your hands. Put yourself on the cross. Pray this out loud with me across this house. God. Come on, pray it boldly. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Take over my life. You're not a God of legalism, but you're the first chair. Your relationship. Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you to forgive me and be Lord of my life. How many men in this house? You can put your hands down. By the way, if you just prayed that for the first time, welcome to our family. You just gave your heart to Christ. Give the Lord a praise across this house. We're not done. Now hold on. The only other thing I could, I've got to do right now. The only other thing I've got to do right now. Single parents, would you just right now say, God, I'm not alone. Every dad in the house, listen to me. How many dads do I have in the house? Men, raise your hands. Say, God. Come on, pray it like a man. God! Today? Hold on. All the single young fellas, raise your hands with them. Sons and fathers in the house. Everybody pray. Say, God! In Jesus' name. Any curse on my home is broken we shall be blessed I shall walk in honor in Jesus name restore our home every lady join them all the ladies raise your hands and say in Jesus name today 
Spirit of God, invade our home. Today, anything, come on men, say it. Today, come on ladies, say it. Today, anything that is taken root in my house, that is not of God, I plead the blood of Jesus. I call for the power of God. So raise your hands and say, wind of God. God's going to let you hear the cries of lost. He, may, he makes me do this when I go to bed at night in a new city. He'll let you begin to hear the cries of lost. I'm going to mess you up now. I got to do this. Say, Jesus, let me feel what my friends and family who are not saved, let me feel their pain on this Sunday morning. Friends and family, classmates, co-workers, I want a burden. Let me hear the cries of the lost now if you don't know what's happening that's called a burden the word is fortion in the Greek it means faults of the conscience which oppress the soul he will burden you this is what he does to me in services say come on raise your hand say let me feel what the lost are feeling now pray this God pour out your spirit on our sons and daughters I dare you to go home. See, we'll fast for everything but our children. I dare you to fast for your family. I dare you to lay hands on them. I dare you to walk the perimeter of your yard and say, this land is not cursed, it shall be blessed. I had to do that over my own house. I dare you to anoint the doors and the windows. I'm not being weird. It is time to take back. No more phone calls in the middle of the night. There's been an accident. No more phone calls saying, Mom, I'm pregnant. We are taking back our family and our generation. single parents raise a hand and say I'm not alone we will restore David's house let's give God a praise